بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم رحمد رسولی الکریم اما بعد الحمد للہ جنائٹ از دا نائنٹینتھ آف ڈسمبر ان دا ایئر ٹو highlighting the uh, awesome virtues of those who earn a lawful income. So to spend a session now, again, discussing the glorious deed of Sadaqah. So firstly, with regards to giving one's obligatory Sadaqah to unbelievers, then there is a difference of opinion. But caution demands that we stay away from this. So, can zakat be given to unbelievers? So, there's obviously there's a difference of opinion. But we should try to avoid this. Why? Because our beloved messenger, he said, <clears throat> An unbelieving neighbor has one right over you. The companions asked, Should we give them some meat from our ritually sacrificed animals? Ya Rasulullah. The Prophet said, Do not give anything to polytheists from your ritual sacrifices. This is in Behaki in Shu'ab al-Iman 7-83. So, look how interesting. An unbelieving neighbor, the Prophet said, He's got a right over you. So the companions, this was probably nearing the time of Eid al-Adha, where they were offering the Qurban. So they asked, Can we give some of that meat of the sacrifice to them? And the Prophet said, do not give anything to polytheists from your ritual sacrifice. So this seems to indicate <coughs> that when it comes to the obligations, you should steer that towards the believers. You understand? And of course, the Qurbani, according to the Hanafis and Malikis, is wajib. In continuation, <coughs> as is well known, when one gives, one actually does not lose any of one's wealth. Indeed, quite the opposite is true. Sayyidina Ali radiyallahu he relates that our beloved messenger said sallallahu alayhi wa if you wish to have a downpour of provisions then give sadaqah if you wish to have a downpour of provisions then give sadaqah this is recorded by Hafiz ibn al-Jawzi in his kitab al-Silah page 226 of the English translation so famously The Prophet ﷺ, he said I swear an oath that if you give it does not diminish your wealth So this is again Iman. Why? Because obviously when you give, you have lost some wealth. You, know, you don't deny that. But the Prophet was explaining you haven't in actual fact lost anything. You'll get it back and even more so. But in this report, how much do you get back? And the Prophet said, it's like a downpour. So when you get like a torrential downpour of rain, and imagine that was wealth. What's caused that? Sadaqah. <laughs> The Prophet said, if you wish to have a downpour of provisions, give sadaqah. And the clearest proof, if we needed this, is the companions. You know, if you look, it's like, where are they getting this money from? You know, they're giving 100 camels, 500 camels, 1,000 horses, 1,000 dinars. And you think, where's this? And this is the promise. So Allah is promising to give. In another report, it mentions, in Kanzul Umal, number 16,008 or 6-150, Atone for your woodies and grief through sadaqah. If you do this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will remove your losses and help you against your enemy. Subhanallah. 
So look at these very interesting things, you know, the benefits of sadaqah. So what's the two things the Prophet mentioned first? It gets rid of woody and grief. <laughs> it's strange. So how many million of ways can you have grief? You know, you could get grief from your family, grief from your transport, grief from your neighbors, grief from your health. You know, a million ways. Somebody goes, I've got Woody's brother, give sadaqah. Because that's going to give me, how's that going to help? The Prophet wasallam said, it atones for your Woody's and grief. It gets rid of it. And notice those who regularly give, they got the biggest smiles. You notice that. Then the Prophet wasallam said, if that wasn't all, Allah Ta'ala removes your losses. So if you're in some sort of loss, you know, maybe a business venture has gone, you know, took a turn for the worse. It will remove the loss and Allah Ta'ala will also help you against your enemy. So enemies, there's two types. One is the hidden enemies, the shayateen, and one is the, op- uh, the open, either on the battlefield. Either way, sadaqah helps. One should also seriously consider the following blessed report. Our beloved mother Sayyida Aisha radiallahu she relates that the Prophet said, Sometimes people receive the needy begging. I, they approach them to fulfill their needs. They are neither human beings nor jinn. But they are angels of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who arrive to test the human beings. If they are making good and generous use of the resources which Allah ta'ala has blessed them with. This is recorded by Hafiz ibn al-Jawzi in his Kitab al-Sila, page 239 of the English translation. So think about that. You might have turned away an angel by not giving. So it's not always a destitute. Allah Ta'ala sends angels. Now what's interesting about that, that proves that the sadaqah, the whole point of it is to benefit you. Because what's the angel going to do with the sadaqah? Imagine Jibreel comes in a guise of a destitute. You give him 10 pounds. What's he going to do with it? <laughs> so it shows that Allah Ta'ala only wants to see whether you give. Once you give, then everything will be coming back to you, which is promised. But does it not bring sadness to the heart that we may have been guilty of turning away holy beings? We seek refuge in Almighty Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala from what displeases Him. I mean, think about that. If you were known, and that's why, you know, when I heard this report, you start thinking, you're thinking, hang on a minute. There was that person. That was he an angel? And then obviously you can't tell. You know, they're going to be completely dressed like a destitute. You're going to go, you're an angel, right? You know, just give him the money. And even worst case scenario, he's a rip-off merchant. Allah Ta'ala is not going to rip you off. Your intention is to give. So where's the sense in not giving? For instance, there's uh, outside the main masjid, there's a woman that sits there. And one brother goes, just be careful, you. I goes, uh, why? She goes, she can't even speak Arabic. Right? So then I says, well, I feel like saying, well, what's that going to do with anything? <laughs> do you have to speak Arabic to, speak, to, 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 to beg? Imagine, you know, go and go to Madrasa first. And then he goes, and I think what he was trying to say was she's not a Muslim. Right? But end of the day, you know, we don't, you know, the whole point of Sadaqah, you missed the point, brother. The point is you don't lose that. You know, somebody goes, okay, well, she, she took your money and she's, she's uh, sent it back home. She's ripped you off. No, she hasn't ripped me off. I benefited. <coughs> Heads are win, tails you lose, as they say. And no doubt, shaitan deceives you into not giving. That's the whole point. Abu Jafar said, Whenever some destitute came to Ali ibn Hussein ibn Ali, 
he would welcome him warmly and wholeheartedly. And he would say, I hail you who have come to carry my foodstuff to the hereafter. Recorded by Hafiz ibn al-Jawzi in his Kitab al-Silla, page 239 of the English translation. So I mentioned many times, this is Zain al-Abideen. Hussein radiallahu who was the famous grandson of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa He had many children, one of them was called Ali. He was called the beautiful worshipper. Look, look how amazing destitutes would come. And he would welcome them as if they are family members. He goes, MashaAllah, my, welcome, welcome. And then he would say, he goes, welcome to the one who is carrying my my resources to the hereafter. <laughs> so what was his mindset? His mindset was, you're not benefiting me. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not benefiting you. He goes, you're benefiting me. <laughs> but people with little understanding, they goes, he deserves it. Don't <laughs> Who deserves it? <laughs> Even when you make that statement, he deserves it. <laughs> I goes, why? He goes, he ain't got any arms. <laughs> don't I deserve it? He goes, yeah, obviously, you, you get your reward. Right? Then I goes, well, hang on a minute. You know, you're saying it as if, you know, I'm doing it for him. He's doing it for me. And look how beautiful the great-grandson of the Prophet put it. He goes, he's helping you to take your goods to the Akhirat. You know, subhanAllah. Consider to what lengths the companion, Haditha ibn Nu'man, went to to personally give foodstuff. There's two ways to give. One is to write a check, send it on the, you know, whatever, right, devices, but it's better to give hand to hand. Why? Hafiz ibn al-Atir in his Asad al-Ghaba, 1-359. Haditha ibn Nu'man radiyallahu who became blind in his old age. He would therefore keep sitting on his prayer mat with a basket beside him full of dates, with a string fastened between the prayer mat and the door of the closet. So picture the scene, he's, he's on his prayer, he's blind, radiyallahu He's sitting on the prayer mat and he's got some dates and he's got a kind of a latch which he can pull to open a, you know, some sort of a door towards a closet. Thus, when an indigent would appear at the door and greet him, he would fasten dates with the string and pull it thereby causing the dates to reach that indigent man. His household therefore said, why do you go through all this trouble? If you ask us, we would give it to the destitute. He responded, I have heard Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa say to give to the needy with one's own hand undoubtedly saves one from an evil death. Subhanallah. To give to the needy with one's own hand undoubtedly saves one from an evil death. <coughs> Recorded by Hafiz ibn al-Adir in his Asad al-Ghab 1-359. So the best, most exalted way to give is with your hand. Hand to hand. <coughs> and what's the... Where's the proof of this? Aid workers. You know when they're actually asking people to give, look how passionate they are. You noticed? Have you got that passion? You know, you see him and they think, why is he almost in tears? Oh, you people are dying, brother. Ah, right? And then you think, oh, what's happening here? And then the reason is because he's given it hand to hand. He's seen people. On back of trucks, you know, they're just giving it. You see that destitute. So what does that protect you from? An evil death. It softens the hearts. Similar was related by the companion Khabab ibn al-Arat Such was his generosity. It was said he placed his dinars and dirhams in a part of his dwelling that was known to the poor and needy. So look how strange. Normally you you got a safe. <laughs> you know, your balong is going to a safe. Nobody can get to him. He's actually told everybody. <laughs> he goes, the poor knows where the, where the money is. It's there. 
Subhanallah, he did not even bother securing the money in any way. And those in need would simply come and take what they needed without seeking any permission or asking any questions. Think about that. What sort of generosity is this? You think the guy is stealing? Imagine somebody walks into your house. Stay into your, like, you know, whatever it is, where money is. And walks out, you think, you're man, what's this? You go, don't worry about it. Because the owner says, that's fine. You think the guy's crazy? And that was Khabab, radiyallahu. It is related that a group of nobles came to visit him when he had fallen ill. And he said to them, there are 80,000 dirhams in that casket. I have never locked, secured or prevented anyone who asked for money from taking anything he needed from it. This is in Abu Nu'im al-Hiliya, number 310, Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 3, page 264, the New English translation. So now what's strange? You would think he'll have nothing. If somebody goes to you, yeah, any time goes, that's it. you think it's straight away, he's not going to last a day. He'll have, he'll, have, he'll have the proverbial fig leaf by the end of the day, covering his private parts. But look what he said. He goes, 80,000 didn't, he couldn't get rid of it quick enough. Why? Because downpours happening. The promise of Allah Ta'ala is always true. So imagine he goes, I've got 80,000 dirhams. And the way he said it, you get the impression, he's grieving. He goes, I've never locked it, never secured it, never prevented anyone who asked for money. And you get this impression, he's thinking, yeah, Allah, I'm trying to give, but you're giving me more back. And the only thing which is strange about these people, Allah Ta'ala blesses them with wealth. You know, you don't want to mention names, but you get some of the people going to the field of sadaqah. Allah Ta'ala blesses them. They didn't enter the field to become, you know, millionaires. But it just happens, right? And why is that? Because Allah's promise is always true. He doesn't break his promise. The downpour is happening. Imagine, you give one bit of downpour. What about the person who's in the field? That's his job. Right? So, no, no this is something to really reflect upon. Indeed, the virtues of feeding your brothers and sisters is beyond comprehension. Abu Huraira radiallahu relates that our beloved messenger said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he who fed his brother a morsel of sweet pudding, halwa, would then not taste the bitterness on the day of judgment. <laughs> Recorded by Hafiz ibn al-Jawzi in his Kitab al-Sila, page 264 of the English translation. I think about that. We know what halwa is. Halwa is that sweet, you know, we call it, I don't know, semolina or whatever. <coughs> the sweet pudding. What's the reward for that? You will not taste bitterness on the day of judgment. What does that mean? Well, whatever it means, brother, it's surely a good thing. Well, I've just given him sweet. Doesn't matter what you've given. Allah Ta'ala loves that. In a similar report, Anas radiallahu alayhi wa sallam, beloved messenger said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will remove hardships on the day of judgment for the one who feeds something sweet to his Muslim brother. This is in Deilami in his Musnad al-Firdos, number 6050, Tabarani in his Maqarim al-Akhlaq, number 166. So now the Prophet is explaining, hardships are removed. If you give something sweet, so now why is it sweet? What if somebody goes, well, if I give something sour to my brother, do I get nothing for that? Of course you get rewarded for it if he likes it. But the sweet is mentioned. I don't know the reason for that, maybe because the Prophet liked sweet things. It reminded him of paradise. That But usually it's a dessert. And what's interesting about a dessert is not the main meal. So what is actually being said here? If you use our logic, Allah Ta'ala is telling you the reward for the dessert. <laughs> Somebody goes, well, I'm gonna be, I'll give him a main meal. What's the reward for that? No, no, brother. 
Well, it's got to be something rare, I think. Maybe it was for this reason that Abu Huraira, when something sweet is served to you, then you should have some of it. Similarly, when perfume is presented to you, apply a little of it. This is in Tabarani, in his Maqarim al-Akhlaq, number 184, al-Hedmi, in Majma al-Zawaid, <coughs> number 7,991. So two things the Prophet mentions, sallallahu alayhi wa When you have something, something sweet is given, just have a little bit. That's a sunnah. Now why did the Prophet encourage you to have a bit? Because you don't want to deprive the person who's giving. So even if you're not hungry, you think, oh, okay, brother, I'll take a little bit. That's actually a good thing. And the same with atar. Some people are allergic, obviously, then there's no problem. But if you, they say others, you might not, you know, some people don't have an inclination towards it. Still have a little bit. So nothing to do with allergy. You just don't, you know, that scent, you, you know, you don't prefer that scent. But still don't refuse it, the Prophet says. Take a little bit. So just a little, just a little dab, please. Why? Because, and that seems to indicate why the sweet is mentioned, because perfume is from paradise. It is no wonder that Bodel, radiyallahu, he relates that our beloved messenger said, sallallahu alayhi without doubt, I prefer feeding one morsel to my brother for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to giving 10 dirhams in sadaqah. Similarly, I prefer giving 10 dirhams in sadaqah than freeing a slave. Interesting. This is in Behaki in his Shu'ab al-Iman number 9627, Tabarani in his Maqanim al-Akhlaq number 169. So look how interesting. The superior deed is to feed your brother a morsel. That's the best deed, a morsel. So if I give him a day, yeah, morsel. I prefer the Prophet said, giving that than 10 dirhams in sadaqah. Imagine somebody goes, I know a brother's given 10 silver coins in sadaqah. MashaAllah, if he's really sincerely, it's lawful, fantastic. I know somebody better than him. Because who was he given? He gave a morsel to a brother. Be honest. Well, I could have bought him, you know, main meal dessert. Well, you didn't do it, did you? Right? You just give 10 dirhams. Right? There's a difference between giving and food. The Prophet is explaining that, said Allah. Then he said, said Allah, I prefer giving 10 dirhams in sadaqah than freeing a slave. So look how interesting. Freeing a slave, your whole body is preserved from the fire, the Prophet said. That's the least of the good deeds. If you give 10 dirhams in sadaqah, that's better than freeing a slave. And if you give a morsel of food, better than 10 dirhams. Meaning, don't undervalue this deed. People think this is a small thing. It's not a small thing. Look at that amazing report mentioned many times. The hadith is in Hakim, in his Mustadrak Sayyid, Zahabi Sayyid, the Quran. The Prophet said, if you give your brother food and drink to his satiation, then between you and the hellfire are seven trenches. And the distance of the trench is 500 years. So somebody goes, brother, what? right? And he goes, if you give a meal basically to a brother, you fulfill his need, you know, you give him everything. How much have you distanced yourself from the fire? No point trying to work here. Why should we find that strange? A morsel is enough. You've given the whole meal. Then what about if you give to many brothers and sisters? And this is why, you know, people, again, in you know, the end of time scenario, when a people gather, to, to do isali thawab, to pass a reward on to the deceased. What greater thing to pass on than to feed the people? Think about that. If somebody goes to you, I've, I've written a check, I've given a thousand pounds for my parents. Fantastic. Why don't you get somebody to eat and give it to brothers? 
Then the guy, Topi starts tripping. Oh, you're not about the light. He goes, I could have bought that. Yeah, but I'm just saying, you know, it's better to feed it, feed with us. Your parents would have got more reward. Then the guy goes, I don't know what you're talking about, brother. The Prophet's telling you how to invest. And the best way is not to buy the food. <laughs> you can get pizza, mashallah, right? Chicken and chips, fantastic. No, mashallah, Allah's mercy is vast. But the sunnah is the Prophet prepared the food. That's the best to pass on to the dead. So some people, you know, you know, they're, mashallah, they're doing good. But everything's ordered. Right? They go, yeah, everything, yeah, mashallah, you got all this from Wicked, right? He goes, yeah, mashallah, fantastic, you know, we'll get to the dead. And somebody goes, well, none of this has been cooked. Family got together, they, you know, and that is where the blessings, the true blessings will get to the deceased. And some people say, it's bidat, mashallah, it? where are you going to do this? Because I'm like, no, you know, one brother goes, nothing goes to them, nothing. I feel sorry for your dead. <laughs> Imagine, what if his family does? I say, I can't do They probably were you. Tell me some of you bloody idiot. <laughs> like, echoing these words, Sayyidina Ali radiallahu said, I prefer gathering my friends for one saw of food to buying a female slave from the market and freeing her. This is in Tabarani, it is Maqanimul Akhlaq number 171, Kanzul Umal number 25,967. So think about that. One saw is, you know, a handful. So if you get two handfuls, and you get rice with that, let's say. You cook that rice. Hazrat Ali goes, if I get my friends to just share this one saw of food, this is more beloved to me than buying a female slave and freeing it. <laughs> so how much would it cost to buy a female slave? More, much more than a saw. He's trying to explain something. It's not the amount. You've got to be you know, knowledgeable in terms of sadaqah. You understand? Right? People think it's the amount. If I give 10,000, go ahead with it. Knock yourself out, right? I'm going to get some food. <laughs> and then he goes, get some food. Well, you're talking about your stomach. Like, no, not my stomach. I'm going to feed others. And then what does shaitan do? Shaitan says to that person, oh, they're all well fed. What are you feeding them for? <laughs> and notice how shaitan stands to restrict the mercy of where does it say? they got to be hungry. <laughs> so if you look at the reports, it goes, those you feed their brothers, tell their, does it say, those you feed their hungry brothers? <laughs> where does it say that? <laughs> But obviously, if you've got people who are needy, even better bring them to share. But it doesn't. That's not a stipulation. So note, you know, be wise in your investment. Indeed, our pious predecessors would give in unusual ways. Jafar ibn Sulaiman, he said, one of my acquaintances informed me that Mu'arrak Ajali, used to bring a pouch carrying four hundred or five hundred dirhams and hand them to his brother as a trust to look after. Later, he would inform them to keep it and use it to fulfill their needs for it was for them. The quote of Hafiz ibn al-Jawzi in his Kitab of Silla, page 268 of the English translation. So look how interesting. So modern day, you give a brother, look, can you look after this? And you give him, you know, I don't know, a thousand pounds. Look after it, please. He's no problem with that. And then, he's not asking for a bike. Week passes, month passes, and he goes, what? When are you going to take the money? Oh, it's yours. So why would they do that? Because they know they wouldn't take it otherwise. You understand? This is how they got around it. You know, people don't... Like, he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, just look after it. It's a trust. And they're not lying. It's a trust. Why? For me in the Akhirat. Right? And look, why were they doing that? Because they're trying to get around the fact that, you know, people aren't, aren't, they don't want to take, you know, there's categories, miskin and there's masakin and 
There's folk, you know, there's the other ones who are more poor. This is the way they get around it. What did I mention about Imam Abu Hanifa a few days ago? Rahmatullah. The Khalif gave him 30,000 dirhams as a gift over a period of time. Imam Abu Hanifa didn't spend a single dirham. He just kept it because he didn't use the wealth of the rulers. Then what happened was he went to the ruler. He goes, I'm not a resident of Baghdad. So could you please look after this wealth that's in my trust? So the Khalif goes, fine. And he gave him 30,000 dirhams. Because can you put it in the Bethel Mall to keep it safe there? He goes, no problem. He puts it back in Bethel Mall. Never asked for it back. <laughs> Imam Abu Hanifa dies. And then the Khalif finds out. He goes, he's outsmarted me. <laughs> Imam Abu Hanifa. <laughs> so look how interesting. You know, they, they just get around it. They go, 30,000. Not spending a penny. But then he goes, maybe the Khalif has taken this from the Bethel Mall. It's not his wealth. So how do I get it back to the Bethel Mall? And this is how their mind work. He went to the Khalif. He goes, look, I, I'm a stranger in these lands. Could you look after it? You know, problem. Puts it back in Bethel Mall. For that office. Gone. And this is why the hadith mentions avoid the the threshold of the rulers because you lose two-thirds of your iman. <laughs> why? Because, and it's true, you know, the hadith is indicating that you are selling out your iman. <laughs> that's what it literally means. And that's what always happens when you get these powerful people, so-called powerful people. They'll start asking you, look, you know, end of the day, you know, mortgage is halal in it. Right? Who said that? And half an hour later, he signed contract. <laughs> Right. What's going on? He goes, then, you know, brother was saying to me, he goes, he goes, brother Yusuf, if you knew how much money some of these scholars are getting from these financial institutions, you'll be stunned. And I didn't want to even ask him. I thought, you know, because think about it. You know, they ask, why are they asking ulama to help the Muslims? Are they really bothered about it, right? They just think we can make a killing. But what shocked the brother was the amount given to the scholar. He goes, ridiculous amounts. You know, he's talking six figures just for a fatwa. So what did the hadith say? Two-thirds of your man's gone. <laughs> going to the rulers. What are you going to them for? Get out of there, right? You know, my man's in jeopardy as it is. Right? And that's why you keep away from them. Look at Imam Abu Hanifa 30. He just, he wasn't spending it. Kept away from them. Once the Khalif says to him, I want you to become the chief Qadi. Meaning you get the rulings and the Khilafat will listen. So then he goes, uh, Imam Abu Hanifa rahmatullah, he said, I can't do it. So the Khalif goes, you can do it. Because there's nobody more worthy. So Imam Abu Hanifa goes, that's the problem. Because I'm a liar. You said, you just said, look. I said, I can't, I can't do it. You go, so you're going to make a liar, a qadi. So the Khalif went, he's outsmarted me again. <laughs> Why would they not want you to become qadis? Because we don't want to be on the payroll. <laughs> Right, no, get away. If you look at the Hadith scholars, all the famous Hadith scholars, Bukhari, Muslim, Nasai, Abu Dawud, Tirmidhi, Ibn Majah, Imam you know, Ahmad, etc. They, none of them were on the payroll. They did it for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now that's very important to highlight. Why? Because some people ignorantly think that they were being used by the rulers. How? Right? They did it feasibility for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So note again here, with regards to uh, Sadaqah, how the righteous would give, you know, subhanAllah. And this is why sometimes, just to finish, maybe you want to give to some family members, but they won't take money, you know, they've got that kind of natural dignity. Just do the same here. Just give them the money, say, look, can you look after it? I, can't, I don't know anybody who can look after this money better than you. Just look after it. Give it him, and then that's it, leave it with him. 
And then he goes, when are you going to take the money back? No, oh, I've left it with you. Because <laughs> you're the best person to look after it. And they'll appreciate that. They look, they might have a little laugh afterwards, thinking, mashallah, there's ways to get around people's dignity and awe and, and, and honor. So all I mentioned today was basically talking about the great deed of sadaqah. And note, the bottom line is, you're only benefiting yourself. You're not benefiting anybody else. And if you think you're benefiting somebody else, then there's a problem with your understanding of this deed. You're so bothered. Are there any questions? Let us.